glad to be here with you this morning as we kick off the campaign that talked about a little bit earlier, but just to remind you, called The Story. And we're doing this because we know the Bible can be intimidating, we know it can be challenging, we know it can be hard to read, and I bet if many of us were honest, we'd say, I don't really have a clue what's even in there. And so we want to change that. We want to go through this study together where after 31 weeks, we believe that you will feel confident and know the story of the scriptures. But, but here's the deal. We're not doing this just so you can know the Bible. We're doing it so you can experience God. We're doing it so you can know him at a deeper level because I really believe with all my heart that the Bible, the scriptures, will change your life. But have you ever thought about who the Bible is written for? You ever, I mean, we know there's some interesting things in there. We know it has great insights. We know it's a holy book. But who was it written for? I mean, was it written for God by human authors for God so he could read about himself? That, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah, so the scriptures were written for, for us, so we could know God, so we could understand him, which is very important because that means every aspect of scripture, every line of scripture, every chapter of scripture, every verse of scripture is trying to communicate something about God to us, so we can investigate it, we can study, and we can just lean in on it, especially the very, very beginning. Now, if, if you haven't been here and, and you didn't read chapter one of the story, right now we're just going to do an overview of Genesis chapter one through six. So if you missed out or you weren't here, you can go back and catch up on it. But, but here's how the very, very beginning of the Bible starts. It says this, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, say that with me, God, there you go, created the heavens and the earth. And this is a very important statement. It's the introduction to the entire uh, scriptures, and it's letting us know who the main character is. Who's the main character? God, right. Sometimes we make things about ourselves, don't we? Yeah, the main point of scripture, the main character, the, the, it's God. And so the author is leaving nothing to chance. It's not second guessing, hey, you're not an accident. Things didn't just happen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the author, in a, in a poem-type fashion, unfolds how the earth was created. And the most important and striking feature should be the fact that it just says God spoke, and it happened. Over and over, would you see God speaking? I mean, we serve a God so powerful that all he has to do is just say it, and it happens. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It should be. And I know many of us, then we get distracted about how the earth was created and how long it took the earth. And then we get in these conversations about what came when and how many millions of years. And I'll just be honest, I think you're just missing the point. Because the point is, in the beginning, God created. And see, it, I, I equate it to kind of like a movie. How many of you get distracted with the movie credits? You, you guys don't sit there and analyze the movie credits after, like, just, right, right, we, we watch, okay, one or two of you, okay, you're here, it's fine. But most of us, we just enjoy the movie, the overarching story, what's going on in there, and see, getting distracted about the details, we're missing the point of, in the beginning, God created, and he spoke it all into existence. And it tells us, at Day, this, this one particular day, there was this grand finale of creation. And what was it? We got one person who knows that means he goes to Sunday school. 
The grand finale of creation was? Right, humans. I'm excited. God created us, these humans, to be his image bearers. It, it, It says he has a special relationship with us. Where after he formed man, he spoke, he breathed into our nostrils to give, give us life. It, it's showing this intimate and this care and this detail that God has with us. And it says that he walked with man in the garden, which means he, he put him to work in the garden. Remember, the man had to work it, which means God taught him how to do it. So God's breathing into him to give him the breath of life. He's teaching him how to work and what to work. And then it says he brings in the animals and he has to name them. Adam got to name Tyrannosaurus Rexus. Like the first service, when I said something about dinosaurs, I lost them for the rest of the service. But did you know Adam got to name T-Rex? Adam got to name the raptors. And that might not sound like a big deal to you, it's a big deal to me, okay? When I, when grown up, when Jurassic Park first came out, I'm a little bit younger than you if you didn't know that, okay? So when Jurassic Park first came out, my grandma took me, I was way too young to see the movie, It scared me so bad, and I had a whole battle plan. I said, if dinosaurs come back, like Jurassic Park, here's what I'm going to do. We had a one-story house. I said, I'm going to get on top of the one-story house, and if I'm still, the T-Rex can't see me, because you remember that in the movie, if you stand still, the three of you saw it. Okay, if not, go watch it. It's it's a little older. But I would stay still, but then the raptors, I was a little scared, because they could probably jump on the top of the roof, and so I thought it might be high high enough, but I wasn't too sure. Anybody else have thoughts like that? Okay, I'm not the only one. You make me feel better. But Adam, there was harmony in the garden. There was harmony between dinosaurs and and man. And and I just think it's amazing and and it's beautiful. And in this garden, he created these trees and he told them not to eat from one. Which one was it? Okay, yeah, the tree of knowledge of good and evil said he made man free with the choice and just don't eat from this one. And although they were created in his image, he, we see from the very beginning they had a choice to follow and submit to his leading or do things their own way. That's the ideal situation, but then we see this serpent come into the picture. Do you remember that? Did God really say? Did he catch anybody else off guard that a snake was talking yeah, I mean, that's in the Bible. I, I don't know. He was naming T-Rexes. You lost me there, right? He spoke everything into existence. I mean, we've got a powerful God. And so we see snakes talking. I don't understand it, but that's what it's saying. He came and tempted them. So God said, don't eat from this one. Then we see the snake come in and say, well, did God really say? Come on, isn't that how your worst mistakes in your life have ever started? Did God really say? Wasn't it questioning, doubting God's word? Well, maybe it doesn't really sit. Maybe I'm okay if I. And so instead of running from temptation, they gave in and ate the fruit. They disobeyed God, which messed up not only the relationship with him, but the whole creation now is affected by sin. And, And they didn't just like eat a cookie before dinner. The idea is that they took power that wasn't theirs They wanted control of their destiny. They wanted to to lead their own way. And from that, we see them getting kicked out of paradise. It says man will return to dust. It says women will experience childbirthing pains. Now, I've never experienced that. But is it a big deal, ladies? Yeah, and it says out of sin that man will have to work hard to toil the earth. The idea that, well, how about this? Has work ever stressed anybody out? 
Yeah, cause of sin. And so now the whole creation, our whole world has been affected by sin. And so the scriptures, when we read it, especially the beginning, we've got to realize they were written to tell us about God, that God created everything. He spoke it all into existence, and his desire was for you and I to live in harmony, to have this great relationship with him and creation, but sin messed it up. Sin has distorted everything. You see, we were created to be his image bearers. N.T. Wright puts it the best, I believe. He says we are to be like angled mirrors. I've told you this before. I'll probably say it many more times. But we are to reflect God's goodness and greatness into all of creation. We're to love like he loves and just show mercy like he shows mercy and reflect all that he is into the world and everything we do. But then, as an angle mirror points back up, we should sum all the goodness and greatness in this world and praise him, worship him back. And so we reflect his goodness, but then, of course, we sing him praises and worship. You see, our purpose as created beings has always been to bring him glory and will always be to bring him glory. But sin, the tension, the problem, sin has entered the world. And you know, this idea of sin, it doesn't get resolved until Jesus Christ. Sin will continue on throughout the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures over and over. The thing that you're going to see as you go on this study with us, the claim and the kind of the The calling from God is that the people of God need to be the people of God. But then we see sin and sin. But the claim will be the people of God need to step up and be the people of God. And it's going to continue to get worse and worse. You see, even in Genesis, it gets bad pretty fast. You have the story of Adam and Eve, then you have a really terrible story about their kids, and all of a sudden, you get to Genesis chapter 6, 5, and this is what describes the world. Although we were made in his image, we see sin, the world gets pretty bad pretty fast. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. People are just focused on themselves. It's as if God didn't exist or they just aren't interested in listening to him at all. And so it says that God decides to just wipe them out. He's done. All of them. Getting rid of everything. But verse 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So as God was looking down and saw the destruction and saw the evil, Something caught his eye. And that word favor is so important because it's also translated grace. Meaning grace doesn't just show up somewhere in the New Testament. Grace has been this idea throughout the scriptures. And so God, with his grace, he looks down and sees this one man. Now what catches his attention? What is Noah? Noah, What's happening? It tells us, verse 9. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with his God. And so what stood out to God about Noah that was different from everybody else is that for one, he was righteous, which means he had a good moral character. He was blameless, which means he walked with integrity. And he walked with God. The most important aspect of your life and of your faith is your walk with Jesus Christ. 
You see, while everybody was out doing what they want, Noah stood and was walking with God. And this is emphasizing his dependence upon the Lord. And so it's not that he's perfect. It's not that he's done everything completely right. It's that he's walking and he cares about how he's living and he's focused upon the Lord. And so because of that, he found favor with God. And instead of wiping the entire world out and just starting over, which is probably what you or I would have done, God just chose to continue with humans. He chose to continue with us and asked Noah to build what? Come on, y'all should know this one thing you should know. An ark, right? And the world had never rained. So we see sin. We see sin's a big problem. We see that sin has done devastating effects on the human race. And God says, hey, I'm going to wipe it out, build an ark. But remember, what we're going to talk about is Noah wasn't perfect. Look what it says in verse 9. It says, he was blameless among the people of his time. Now, that probably shouldn't be hard considering the world was described as corrupt and full of violence, but let me ask you a question. Could God describe our world as being corrupt and full of violence? Oh, absolutely. But remember, it's not about being perfect, but it's about walking with God. And here's what I want you to see. Now, this is going to be extremely corny, but you'll remember it. I'm just, here's a warning, but here's what we see. When you have God's gracious favor and Noah's faithfulness, we saw an ark-mazing experience. Next slide. There it is. God's gracious favor plus Noah's faithfulness is an ark-mazing. You like that? Come on, you're... Doug doesn't like it. I like it, Doug, sorry. An ark-mazing experience. And see, that's, that's the cycle. That's what God wants. Because what we see is God desires a garden. God desires a relationship with us. God desires our family to be whole. God desires us to be at peace with the creation. But we see sin when we do what we want. We see childbirthing pains. We see hard work and stress come into our lives. We see us returning to dust and a broken relationship with God. But what the author is showing us is that those who walk with God will experience a different life. And I'm pretty sure, in fact, I, I'm, it's a safe bet that every single person here wants to be blessed by God. Do you want to have favor by God? Do you want to experience his blessings? Now, remember, we've talked about it. That doesn't mean the American dream. Don't hear that. But do you want to find God's favor in your life? And of course, you say, of course. I'm at least exploring it or I wouldn't be here. I would love for God to intervene and do something amazing in my life. But you see, it's about our walk. It's about what we do. You see, God is far less interested in your resume and far more interested in your faithfulness. You see, God's gracious favor plus your faithfulness will equal an arc-mazing, I'm gonna say it a lot, okay? An arc-mazing experience. You see, because God is still looking to use people in this world. This world can still be described as evil. And I believe, and I hope you do too, that God's on a worldwide mission to save and redeem people through Jesus Christ. You see, God's alive and active. He's moving and he's still looking down for people to take giant leaps of faith for him. 
But when he looks down on you, what does he see? Are you faithfully walking with God? Are you dependent upon him? Do you study his word? Do you long to hear from him? Do you talk to him in prayer? Do you have a relationship with him? And if you're not in your word, I ask you, where do you get your wisdom? Because what got Eve into trouble is rationalizing on her own efforts. Some of us think we're smart, right? I know who you are already. Yeah, you're rational. When we do it on our own efforts, it will lead to trouble. If God's word isn't speaking into our life, guiding our decisions, ask who's guiding your life? And so are you walking with God? And could, would your, or could your life be described as righteous? How's your moral conduct? And I don't mean just what everybody sees, although I asked the question, how would people describe your conduct? But what about when nobody's around? What about that stuff you look at on the internet when you think absolutely nobody else is watching? What about those TV shows? What about those Facebook posts? I mean, when God looks down on you, right? We know we can trick people around us. Did we know that? Come on, we've all put our church face on. We can trick everybody around us to make it look like we have everything together. But when God looks down, does he see you trying to live out the morals and the biblical truths? And are you a person of integrity? Does your faith match what you do and what you do matches your faith? Or are we just adding to the long list of reasons why people don't go to church? Who hasn't heard, well, I would go, but they're full of hypocrites, right? We know it. We've heard it. How about we don't be it? And again, it doesn't mean we're perfect. But are we striving to live a life that honors God? You see, the goal is self-evaluation. When God sees me, what does he see? You see, when God's gracious favor and your faithfulness intersect, you will have an arc-mazing experience. And I'm not sure what your arc-mazing experience is gonna be. For Noah, it was an arc. For David, it was being a king. For Peter, it was being an apostle. All things that seem far-fetched, but things that God did through them. But maybe it's for you, it's stepping into vocational ministry. It's going, you know what? I feel the Lord calling me to do something full-time for him. Or maybe it's stepping up and living into that supernatural gifting that he's done for you and given you through the Holy Spirit. Do you know if every Christian would just understand and embrace and live into the fact that God has supernaturally gifted them for service? Do you know if we just did that, we would change the world? You have a superpower. You ever thought about that? I'm about to go on a tangent. Let me bring it back in. Or, or maybe what God's calling you to do it's something a little more personal. Maybe it's breaking that addiction. Maybe it's breaking that addiction of drugs or alcohol or pornography. I've seen it destroy so many homes, and I'm sure you have too, but maybe your experience is gonna be able to break those things. Maybe for you, it'll be breaking the cycle of the brokenness of families. Maybe you'll be the first person not to have a divorce out of everybody you know. Maybe you'll be the first person to get an education. Maybe for you, it's stepping up and taking care of the orphans and the widows. Maybe it's you, you're a teacher going into the public school system saying, hey, 
I'm gonna believe in a kid that everybody else says is hopeless. And maybe for you, it's through your business and finances and being able to give an extraordinary amount to fund the work of the church. You see, what blows my mind and it needs to blow yours is that God uses all sorts of people in scripture. Look, he uses politicians. Can you believe that? He uses business people, government workers, fishermen, and this one really blows my mind, IRS workers. Like, I didn't think there was hope for them, but evidently there is. God can use anyone and everyone because God's work is not done. He's still in the business of changing lives. He's still using people like you and I for his glory, and it just takes us to take that step of faith for him. And I know it might be scary. I know it may be challenging, but I want to encourage you to take the step anyways. You see, for me, it was going to college. I've told you this before, but I'm, and I'm not joking. I graduated high school with a 1.52 GPA. And no, it's not different in Virginia. That's a D average. And I'm not talking one semester. If you take my ninth through 12th grade, I had a D average. And you're thinking, what kind of pool was the search committee have to hire this guy? But for me, it was so scary. But God has used that for his glory. And you see, we can't forget, although you have your personal things you need to do, we cannot forget that we live after Easter. And for whatever reason, we see God using groups of people, not just the individual anymore. And so you have your personal things and I want to push you towards those, but we can never forget that God now works through this thing called the what? Church. He works through the local church, which means as God looks down upon us, what does he see? And I'm here to, to just encourage us and remind us that we must be a church that walks with God. We must corporately be a people who strive to hear from him, to strive to know him, to take his word serious and learn and grow in it, but also be a church of prayer who seeks his will in everything that we do because corporately, individually, you should bring him glory in all that you do, but corporately as a body, everything we do should bring him glory. And so we have to take knowing his word living out his word, very serious. We must be a church that is walking with God. And we must be a church that isn't afraid to stand on the morals of God. This is very unpopular, but we're gonna talk about it anyways. The idea that we can do what we want and believe what we want and everybody needs to be okay with it is not a biblical idea or thought. That's the equivalent of the very, very beginning. You're falling for the oldest trick in the book. Did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Well, does God really say that people have to do that? It's the same thing repeating itself. There is a thing as being righteous. There is a thing of morality, and we do believe that God teaches us how to live a life that's honoring to him, that brings him glory. It's holiness. We'll talk about that a different day, whole new topic. But that is, shouldn't be foreign to us to live a holy life. But 
we also have to understand there's grace. And so we want to be a church that has a lot of truth, but also grace, meaning we want to be able to accept you where you're at. We don't want to be a, a church that pushes away people from sinning, pushes away people who are different. No, we want you to come and be able to experience God and get to learn about God. But we also believe and understand that you can't stay there. So while you come, you don't stay there. We want you to learn the truth and grow in the truth because we believe God teaches us how to be holy. So we want to accept all. But we don't want to be known for a church that just says, well, anything needs to go and we don't want to make people feel bad. No. We want to be a church that's unashamedly unafraid to stand on the truth of God's word. But we also don't want to be a church that pushes everybody away because they're different because we have plenty of those too. So if people are broken, they're more than welcome to come. But we're not afraid to stand that we believe God teaches us to live a holy life. Because who here couldn't live a little bit holier? Remember that story of Jesus drawing a line in the sand? Yeah, we remember that one pretty good, don't we? But we, as we go, I will talk about things that are unpopular. And I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just letting you know, I will talk about things that are unpopular. I will teach on things that I believe the Bible is pretty clear about. And, I, and I'm going to give us a pass. There are plenty of things that are gray. I'll be the first one to say, well, I don't know about that one. But the things that are black and white, we're going to stand on them. Because we believe as God looked down and saw something in Noah, uh, this righteousness, this holiness, we want him to shine down and look upon our church with the same way. Going, ah, they get it. Which means also we must be a church of integrity. We want to be a church that is known for helping people to be more like Jesus Christ. We don't want to be known for watering down scripture. We're in an age where even churches are walking away from the things of God. Do we understand that? I promise you we will not be that as long as I'm here. We will push towards the truth of God. And we will stand on it. You see, we want to be a church that sees life change. And I don't want to just talk about it. I want people to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ and have their entire world flipped upside down and inside out because it's amazing. And I want others, I want you to be able to invite your friends and family and know that they're going to get to learn about Jesus here. Which means we have to align what we say we're going to do, what we say we believe, with what we actually do. And you're like, well, of course we do. Uh-huh. Just buckle up. We're going through this six-month process right now. We've talked about it plenty. But we had our first weekend of that strategic envisioning process where our leaders got together and we learned and we're going through the strategic planning process to learn how to be all that God has called our church to be. And it was amazing and it was great. But we really believe that God is moving at this church. We really believe he's going to use us in a mighty way for this community, this state, and this country, and dare I say the world. We believe that. But when this happens, when God moves, he asks you to do things like build an ark when it's never rained. And so while all this sounds, oh yeah, Brian, whoo, it's going to be challenging. Prepare by walking with God. 
by knowing him and hearing from him and getting ready for him to use you in a mighty, mighty way. Because when we take, as a church, God's gracious favor and our faithfulness as a body of believers, we will experience and we will have an arc amazing experience. You thought I was done using that word, didn't you? I'm gonna keep throwing it in. I believe that, church, that God has amazing things in store for us. And so individually and as a church, none of us are perfect. Don't hear that. But do hear that God is still looking to use people for his glory. God is still asking people to take giant steps of faith for him. And I want you to know and I want you to believe and I want you to trust that whatever that step is for you, you take it. He may have asked you 20 years ago and you're still standing in the same spot, too afraid to take that step. I don't want you to miss out on what he has in store and it's not too late because you're still breathing. And as a church, I want us to prepare and get ready for whatever step, whatever arc he has in store for us. To be ready to stand up and go, yeah, we're ready. We're going that way. And so whatever your next step of faith is, I want you to take it. Maybe for you, you're not close to God. You haven't been close to God. Someone dragged you to church because they're doing this new study. We know you're here and it's okay. We're glad you're here. And if that's why you're here, maybe for you today, you just need to say, you know what? This year, today, I'm gonna start walking with God. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm gonna start. I'm gonna try. Hey, first thing, start reading his word. That'll take you pretty far. Or maybe you've never actually given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been doing it your own way and you've been doing your own things and I just ask, how's that working? I already know the answer, by the way. Same problem we all have. Surrender to him. All of us have been made with a choice from the very, very beginning. We could surrender to the will of God or we could reject it. The same is true through the grace that he's shown us in Jesus Christ. You can choose to accept and surrender. It's always been a call to surrender. That hasn't changed. You can choose to surrender your life to him and experience his grace or do things your own way. And I want to challenge you to accept it, to embrace Jesus Christ. So whatever your next step is, I want you to take it because God is still looking to use people in a mighty way for his glory. And all you have to do is take that step. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Father, as we have this time of invitation, this time of prayer and reflection, we just ask that you prompt in our lives the things we need to repent from. Father, all of us have things we need to turn from. But perhaps there's someone here today who who you're just pressing upon that they haven't stepped into that thing you've asked them to do all those many years ago and they just need to actually do it today. Father, I pray that they have the boldness to commit to that. I pray that those secret sins that we think that nobody else knows about, I pray that we will confess those to you and repent from them. Because as we see, you won't allow us to continue in that. Father, whatever's going on in our lives, I just pray that you shine your light in. 
And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Father, we pray that your spirit pulls on them and prompts them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.